Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. But also today, we have a very special guest, scientist, journalist, former host of NPR's Shortwave and contributor to great shows like Science Friday and PBS's Deep Look. It's Maddie Sofia. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. I love to get science people on the SciShow Tangents podcast. <laughs> One of the most so science them... people of all time, I would say. Well, well let's lower our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> now but you then... know how it feels to be called the science expert. Now Maddie's our science expert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sarah gets to take a break. Yeah. Uh, but that means I get, to ask, I get to ask questions like, what's your favorite thing about a salamander? I'll go first. My favorite thing about a salamander is that despite every every piece of evidence to the contrary people used to think that they were they were spawned by fire because they throw <laughs> wet logs on fires and salamanders would crawl out and i'm like is that really what you thought <laughs> and so salamanders despite being the wettest of the land animals are deeply <laughs> tied to a mythology of being a, a fire related like charmander uh, oh <laughs> is that is that where you know, I have no idea. I have no idea. They, they may not have known. It might have been a coincidence. No, absolutely. It's not a coincidence. There's the word mander in it. They yeah, said he is a what? salamander. Have you looked at him? 
Yeah. So they went, char- <laughs> like, what if it was an actual fire lizard? And then they went, oh, what's the word for that? Char. Charmander. Wow. I got to know now. Oh, okay. Can I go next? Because I'm ready. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the mucus for me. It's the mucus all day. <laughs> it's got to be. Right? I mean, these Tell things- me more about the mucus. Well, Hank, how long can so I mean it's all about gas exchange, right? With the salamanders, right? We're doing we're doing some okay. some respiring through our skin, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's just made a little bit easier with a little shield of mucus. Um, my favorite salamander, the hellbender salamander, is very, also nicknamed the snot otter because of just <laughs> wow That's the level name. of beautiful. <laughs> gourmet mucus on it so it's mucus for me that's hands down it's an easy question i hope i'm not telling tales out of school but i read that you got you were inspired to get your phd because of salamanders is that true yes yeah (laughs) amongst other things but it was mostly (laughs) the salamanders for me for sure i think they're pretty cute that's what i like once you've looked into the eye of a hellbender (laughs) salamander then you know what your purpose is although they are very violent so they will hit you in the face with so it's like a it's a it's a process sam is it just that they're cute i guess these ones actually aren't cute now that i'm looking at them no hellbenders aren't very cute like whoa, slimy rocks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They look like a slimy they're, rock. They're cute in a big way. You can have big and cute. <laughs> like a, it like can a, be big and cute. Yeah, it's like it's, any flat, you know, there's something to it. I yeah, think they're cute, great. Cute in the way that you'd say about an animal that's sometimes called a snot otter. Or a lasagna <laughs> lizard. That's another good name for them. Ooh, yeah. they, the wrinkles do look like noodles. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's that little flap of noodle, a little extra gas exchange, baby. It's all surface area. Beautiful. All right, Sarah, what's your favorite thing about salamanders? Oh, that they all look like axolotls. And then they just stop looking like axolotls when they're done. <laughs> they grow up. They got the oh, is gills. Like they have an axolotl stage? Yeah. Or that's out. like um, part of their juvenile stage. They oh. they have a stage where they don't have little feet and they have big external gills underwater. Uh, those little feathery, I don't know, yeah. hair pieces almost. Yeah, it's a hair piece. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then they shed those and get little leggies. And then their mucus intensifies. Uh, yeah, I guess not shed. They they reabsorb probably is a better way of saying it. I bet they wish they could keep the head pe- the hair pieces though, because those are really cute. And they're probably like, why oh, do you think man. the axolotls do it? Yeah, yeah. they you said know? I don't want to grow up, and then it. just stayed like that. I'm gonna I cut my hair, mom. I'm gonna keep my cute pink hair. That's how it works. Oh, man. I wish we were going to talk about salamanders today, but we're not because I've heard that also Maddie might be a little bit into ants. Yeah, like a normal amount. But I shouldn't have said that because I have to do the introduction before we talk about the topic. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory, but also for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Maddie. So... The only ants that I have like very intricate understanding of are imported red fire ants. And are we familiar with these? They survive floods by building a raft out of their Mm -hmm. own bodies Mm -hmm. and they can kind of float around for days looking for dry land. Yes, they're incredible. They've been known to like crawl onto rafts after hurricanes, which people don't like, but it is (laughs) an incredible survival mechanism. So I was inspired by that and I wrote... This poem from the perspective of a fire ant realizing that there is a flood. Wow. Water trickles down from the sky. Oh, crap, y'all. We about to die. (laughs) Quick, grab the babies. Somebody tell the queen. 
It's go time, critters. You know what I mean. Time to make more venom. Time to get pissed. We're the nightmare boat they'll wish they missed. (laughs) We don't need food. We barely need air. We'll build a lookout tower as high as we dare. Hold on tight. Just one more night. If an ant raft is wrong, I don't want to be right. (laughs) At the end of our journey, we'll do what we do best. Eat all the neighbors and build a new nest. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you will. That was beautiful. Do they get extra venom when it's time to make a raft? They do. It's unclear if they actually produce more venom or the volume of the venom sack increases, but they are more agitated and produce more venom when they're in raft mode, which I think makes sense. I'd also just like to thank you for, in this this month of March, as we approach Mm the 140th day with snow on the ground in Montana, to remind me of, of the fire ant. And that I actually am quite glad I don't live in Florida anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, they were they are not a good situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not I, I've never really had that many interactions with them, which is why I'm told I like them a lot. So the topic for the day is ants. Sorry. But uh do, Aunt, Sari, do you we know do we know what ants are? Yeah. Ants Ants is a 1998 American uh, adventure comedy film. It was produced by DreamWorks. It's not to be confused with A Bug's Life, which was produced important, by Walt important. Disney Around and Pixar. Time, yes. Ants are also a, a branch of the Tree of Life, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> ants, of the, ants with an S is a branch of the Tree of Life. They're in the same order, hymenoptera, as wasps and bees, oh. um, which is why they've got similar body shapes. They're also eusocial, like they form mm-hmm. these colonies. Mm-hmm. They've been around for a while. The oldest fossils date around 100 million years ago, uh, and modern ant subfamilies started appearing around 80 to 70 million years ago. And they, like we mostly know them because of, like we've been talking about, they all work together really well. They they form these nests. There's usually one or sometimes in the really big colonies, a few queens all working together, laying eggs. There are uh, reproductive males that show up just to fertilize the queen. And then most of the worker ants, soldiers, uh, the ones tending the larvae, et cetera, are non-reproductive females. And they use a lot of chemical signaling to know what's going on, where to go for food, how to treat each other. And because they've been around for so long, they are, they've got lots of weird facts about them. Other organisms pretend to be ants. They've got weird parasites that have co-evolved with them or have taken them over. And that's like the last of us fungus that cordyceps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, That, Everyone in the science communication world, I feel like, had a sense of, and now everyone in the broader world knows yeah, because it, yeah. it got famous in a media thing. Well, yeah, what do we have now, y'all? You know what I mean? It will yeah. get something. <laughs> we'll get something. There's, 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 some, lots there's of some things stuff bumping left. around that's going to become a video game in, a, in, a, yeah. in the next few years. Are there? So there are solitary bees and wasps. Are there solitary ants at all? I was going to ask the same question. Hank, oh my gosh. Are there solitary ants? I, I did not look this up for this episode, even though that's a great question. I think bull ants might be. They're like very weird and uh, one of the older species that has stuck around. Mm. Um, and I think don't work together as well. They're trying their best. Yeah. they're Well, they're just very aggressive. So I think, I, I, I don't know if they're trying their best. They're just not no. very friendly. Yeah. Mm. The longer you're around, the less you want to be around, you know, other people, I guess, in this evolutionary time. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But what are the male ants doing? 
Oh, they don't do anything. They they live only a couple days or weeks. They uh they they mate with the queens and then they die. And they croak? Okay. Yeah, then they die. That that's all they're good for, really. And can't like the queens hold on to sperm for a long time? Like years? That sounds right to me that they have some sort of like So they really just they're just they're just that one time and they're just hanging on to it. Yeah, it's like if a sperm bank was in your body instead and you could yeah. like selectively release it and be like, mm-hmm. ah, yes, more egg time now. I'd like, by the end of this episode, to like ants more. If we can make <laughs> that happen, that would be great. You don't like ants very much? <laughs> no! They're... Oh, I love them. <laughs> they swarming, stinging insects. They're so stinking cute, though. They crawl all over everything and they bring food back to each other. My question is... <laughs> Just out of respect? You don't even like them? Hey, you can't just, you can't even. You know, this is what I'm asking for. I need more context to build my appreciation. And I could start by building your respect with the etymology of ant, which I think is quite interesting. All roots of ant trace back to European languages and words that mean to cut, maim, like the same root as maim, I think. And that can either be because an ant is a creature that cuts with its mouth. It's got the mandibles and it's like mm-hmm. a motion. Mm-hmm. Or it could come from the same idea as insect or um, entomo. And entomo is like entomology, uh, which both derive from the fact that insects are segmented bodies. So the ant has little cuts in its body. It's not a tube mm. like a worm. It's like a couple separate segments. Huh. And I never really thought of that about that mm. with regards to the word insect, but it's like it's a notched animal. It is a, oh. a sectioned oh, animal. Wow. Another word that came from that cut etymology is emmet, E-M-M-E-T, Hmm. Uh, and so we could have had that as the word for for ants. So instead well, of a bunch of ants, we got a bunch of emmets. Yeah, <laughs> that's cute. I could I could definitely hear that. They seem like a bunch of little emmets. Hey there, yeah. how you doing? That's how they would talk to. <laughs> and now that we know all of those things, it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week we're going to be playing ants truth or fail. Whether you are at a picnic or maybe just relaxing at home, you probably haven't had some kind of ant encounter. You've seen them walking in a line, marching towards your food. It's annoying, but it's also kind of routine at this point. Sometimes, though, interactions between humans and ants take a very weird turn. The following are three stories of absurd ant-human interactions, but only one of them is true. Which one? Do you think it is? Story number one, scientists studying bats in abandoned nuclear bunkers came upon a grisly discovery, a colony of ants that had fallen into the bunker and started eating each other. Concerned for the ants, the scientists set up wooden planks for the ants to climb out of the bunker. (laughs) Or it could be story number two, a group of park rangers had to contend with two invasions at their cabin at once, woodpeckers and ants. And to deal with both issues at once, the rangers trapped the ants, blended them into a syrup, and applied them to nearby trees to lure the woodpeckers away from their cabin. Or it could be story number three. A group of kids were playing with a slingshot, shooting clay balls at a tree trunk when they saw something strange. A group of ants that live in the tree began to congregate and stack up on each other in the area the kids were targeting, like they were using their body as a physical shield to protect the tree. So... It could either be the scientists saving cannibalistic ants from an abandoned nuclear bunker, 
the rangers creating ant syrup to get woodpeckers to stop bothering them, or trees using an ant shield to defend themselves against kids with slingshots. Ants do be stacking, you know? <laughs> it's true. They love to stack. They build whole nets out of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You mentioned that they build watchtowers when they're rafting. They do. How do they, yeah. wa- how do they, what do they do if they see something? If they, they like come upon a stick or something, they'll be like, ooh, that's better than our bodies. Oh. And they grab, a, they hand onto it. They go oh, all see. the way up it. And it's unclear if they're trying to look for land or if they're, it's just like structurally easier for them. Mm, okay. But they can okay. do it in like two minutes. It's incredible. All right. So they do be stacking, but mm, that feels like a trap. Like Hank would, would know that we know. That's the that's the pitfall of truth or fail. What's yeah. a trap and what's just a, yeah. a true fact? The scientist blending something up. That's weird enough. That feels like like they were in the cabin. They had some time on their hands. You know, it, it wasn't possible for them to introduce a third species to try and take care of it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> if ants are stacking, scientists are definitely blending. We've talked yes. about them blending many things, <laughs> so I can. But I don't know for if sure. a woodpecker would think that's yummy. They would look at the the blended ants and go, ugh, formic Truly. acid. It's a that's like humanity that's is a, the biggest they monster bugs. of all. They eat bugs, they eat but... Yeah. There's also they, some ants that don't have formic acid, you know. They're juicy ants instead. They were like, mmm, <sighs> a little grape ant. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, I've heard this, I've heard this story, but I feel like there's oh, aspects really? of it I don't know if are wrong for this. Like, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. There's so many sci- episodes of SciShow that I've watched and listened to that I've half paid attention to that I'm just so confused all the time, basically. I want to go with number two. I, I believe a scientist was like, let's blend these bad boys. I just, <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> I... I am with Sam. I'm going to go with number one because I think Mm -hmm. I've heard it before, but I don't know in what context. And this has gotten me into trouble before, but Mm -hmm. I'm going Mm -hmm. with my gut. Fresh start for me and this season. Is it the first episode of the It's the first episode of the new season, Hank. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I guess we should have mentioned that. Welcome to season (laughs) five. Uh, we have a like special a welcome guest to celebrate through. the beginning of season five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, number two. I just don't know that woodpeckers would be like. Well, we never did. Did we say it solved the problem, or just that they That's thought a good like, point. that Jeff That's thought this was a good idea? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with three though. Well, everyone. <laughs> In 2013, scientists were studying abandoned bats in abandoned nuclear bunkers in Poland. And they did indeed find an ant colony that had ended up in the bunker as well. And they came from a colony that lived above the bunker, but it had fallen through a ventilation pipe and they couldn't find their way back out. And the population seemed to come entirely from above. And when they were digging through the colony, they they could uh, find no larva or queen or any other sign of reproduction. And in addition to the lost living ants, there were piles of more than two million dead ants that had bites and holes in them, suggesting that they had been consumed by fellow ants, which was just such a bad vibe. And they felt so (laughs) unpleasant about it that uh, after taking some time and and not at first intervening, some people got upset (laughs) that they had sort of uh, talked about this, but not intervened. And they decided in 2016 to help the ants reunite with their above ground colony and they first introduced a smaller sample of the bunker ants to the non-bunker ants to make sure that they were actually still yeah, friends. Yeah, they weren't. And after that was <laughs> fine, they added wooden planks to the bunker to, to help the ants climb out, which they then did. 
What so year did they job, find this? I guess. Well, yeah, what? wait, what year? Did they come back years later? Did I catch that right? Yeah, yeah, they came back years later. Who wrote this grant? This is incredible. <laughs> like this, they're just, they happen upon a different organism and they're like, no, 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 we're going to do a reintroduction. These are bat biologists. They don't know ants. I know, I love it. I love it so much. This is the thing about about uh, grant-funded research is that you can't, you can't study the thing that's most interesting. You have to study the thing you wrote the grant about. You don't know. <laughs> wow. They violated the prime directive also. This isn't allowed i look uh, sam i think you might be confused about what the situations in which the prime directive applies mm. okay <laughs> it's just, it's just all the bad biologists i've met are really nice they would do something nice like this yeah. you know that's nice sweet sweet bat mm-hmm. biologists yeah, i have cool facts about bad. the other ones for example that ants uh created a funny part of woodpecker evolution so birds have like lost the ability to taste sweetness because they didn't mm-hmm. need it but woodpeckers converted their savory receptors back to sweet because apparently that's important when you're a woodpecker. You need to be able to taste sweet. But mm-hmm. even weirder, there is a specific woodpecker, the Rhineck woodpecker, that converted its sweet converted taste receptors back to savory because of how many ants it ate and it needed to be able to taste the ants. So you, oh. had, a, you had a savory receptor convert to sweet and then back to savory just for this one woodpecker. Did it need to be able to taste the ants or I want it to be able to taste the ants? Sometimes surviving isn't enough, Sam. You know? <laughs> you gotta take some joy in your like, life. I, did he need to taste the ants? No, but he wanted something to look forward to, Sam. He's like, I spend my whole day hitting my head into a tree, so please, <laughs> just give me this. Just give me this. Just anything. I just want to feel. <laughs> and Sam, I, uh, did you, you chose three, correct? I sure did. This is a very cool story, but it's not what I said. Uh, so in Panama, <laughs> a teenager accidentally shot the tree trunk of a cicopri, cicrop, cicropia tree. I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, which is known to live in symbiosis with Azteca ants. And the ants get shelter from the tree. And at the same time, they protect the leaves. The next day, the teenager noticed that the spot where he had wounded the tree had been healed. So a group of high school students worked with a scientist to study the tree. Uh, They drilled holes in the trees and they saw how the ants would immediately go to the wound and begin repairing it, often fixing it completely within 24 hours. The behavior Uh might protect the trees from sloths and anteaters that might scrape them with their toenails. But interestingly, not all colonies fixed up the damage and they weren't able to figure out why some colonies did this and some didn't so far. They're right in the grant right now. (laughs) (laughs) They're right in the grant only to find out that they're actually Uh going to be studying bats. (laughs) (laughs) What did they fix it with? They were just like, what were they doing? I don't actually know. I don't know what to do. It's got to be spit up. Ants are always spitting up. Big spitters. When they're on those rafts, they feed each other mouth to mouth style because they can't get food. So they just, they have like a little goo that they store. Yeah, but like, that doesn't help. That doesn't help the one who's doing the feeding. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you obviously you've got some ants that have Spread got some out. more. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. you got some. You've got some youth. My favorite part: babies are on the bottom because they float the best. You know, there's, oh, there's, no. there's yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I wrote the line: "Finally, a useful baby in that <laughs> deep look documentary," and they cut the line, and I oh. have never forgiven them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do understand how that happened. Right. Um, <laughs> but it is objectively true. Babies are not 
in and of themselves in the moment useful. Mm-hmm. I tried to fact check it too. It didn't work, but. <laughs> <laughs> Here so... is a list of useless babies. <laughs> <laughs> so we are headed out of the truth or, the truth or fail with Sam and Maddie at zero and Sari with one point. Next, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. 
from Manacora. If you head to Manacora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. All right, everybody, get ready for the fact off. Usually when we have a guest, we just don't do a fact off. We do other stuff. But Maddie was so eager to blow my mind and so eager to defeat Sari that she is requested to do one. <laughs> so we're going to do this fact off like the old days when there were four hosts. Our panelists have both brought, both brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow me and Sam's mind. And after mm-hmm. they have presented their facts, we will judge them and award a Hank Buck whichever fact we liked more. This better be good. And to decide who goes first, we have a trivia question. The first ant farm, also known as a formicarium, was made by Charles Janet in the early 1900s. But the first commercial version was patented in 1931 by Frank Austin, a professor of engineering who came up with the idea of placing soil and ants in between two panes of glass so people could watch the ants live their lives. To stock up the ant farms, he recruited local kids to help track down ants. How many dollars per quart did Frank Austin pay children for his ants? Oh. In 1931? Uh-huh. I like that I'm adjusting for inflation right now. Like, that's going to help <laughs> me. Because uh-huh. that seems like a lot. In 1931, a whole yeah, dollar? Yeah, like multiple dollars? You can do it in current money as well. If, current money. If you would money. like to do it that way. Five bucks for a quart oh, of the ant. dang it. Seriously. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to say eight bucks. Eight bucks in current dollars, current U.S. dollars. Yes, current. I'm guessing current sure, dollars. Sure, yeah. Okay. The answer in current U.S. 2023 dollars, $79.17. Oh, what? What? What's Which in up? 1931, Sari was $4. That's like I that's that's good freelance money. That's like imagine that's, needing to collect a quart of ants. Truly. I am in that's a lot. That's a lot of ants. Get some yeah. honey on the ground. There's my quart. Yeah, but what next? What next, Sari? Get some honey on the ground? What's your plan after that? I don't know. <laughs> Get some honey in a, a jar. Milk jug. <laughs> and just pick them up one by one. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I guess I guess it was a fairly uh, expensive endeavor purchasing mm. an ant farm at that point. I, yeah. I, I, I assume that it was part of your sort of like cabinet of curiosities if you're a wealthy person. When you're rich and eccentric, you can really do anything. You can be like, That's children, true. fetch me some ants. <laughs> so that means that Maddie goes first. Does that mean that we're tied or is Sari still up one? Oh, Sari is up one right now. Okay, you just okay. got to go first. So if okay, you get yeah, both okay. me and Sam, then you can still win. <sighs> okay. Okay. Here we go. So we are all somewhat familiar with carnivorous plants in this mm-hmm. tangents family, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you don't know what they are, they are plants that capture and eat insects, arthropods, whatever, little critters. And one such plant is the pitcher plant. And it's shaped kind of like a water pitcher. And it has these kind of like little tendrils that come off of it. And the rim of the pitcher and the inside of the pitcher plant is super slippy, like so slippy that scientists are studying them to try and make better toilets. Like there is like science going on. About I like the idea that the thing that we m- most in the world need to be slippier 
is the inside of a toilet. I understand I mean, exactly why. Name me why. something else. Name me something else. <laughs> water slides. <laughs> That's too dangerous. What is a toilet too if not a water slide in a way? Yeah. Anyways, so one of the main things that these pitcher plant eats are ants. They kind of like climb onto the plant. The pitcher plant puts out some like good stink and the ants come around and they slip down mm-hmm. and are slowly digested over time in digestive fluid. It's beautiful. However, there is one ant called Colobopsis schmitzi. Mm. I don't know if you're supposed to pronounce the bop like that in the middle, but I like it. That's a fun. And yeah. they evolved to basically be like, not only am I not scared of this slip, this slippy plant, this is where I live now. Mm. So it builds its <laughs> nests in these little tendrils. And for some reason that is unclear, they are able to walk around the rim of this plant and they will like clean up the rim and keep it nice and clean for the plant. Or... They will climb down into the plant, somehow dive headfirst into the digestive juices underwater for like 30 seconds at a time. They do this specialized like underwater run, I think like this with my hands, mm-hmm. <laughs> grab stuff that the pitcher plant has hunted and found, float back up to the surface, go back they to the steal, side and they steal drag the pitcher plant's it up food? the side. Yeah, so they steal the pitcher plants. But Hank, remember the, slippy the slippiest slides. substance the slippiest on earth, and ever. they're not just getting out; they're getting out with extra mass. They're while getting out. Well, wet. they kind of like they kind of like come up, and they're still like in the pitcher, and they tear it up, and then they drop what they don't want back into the digestive juices, which is very metal. But it is unclear to scientists how they are doing this. They don't seem to have any kind of like weird morphology, or their little tarsies aren't weird. In my understanding is that they just try harder than every animal I have ever read about because it takes them. (laughs) Let me get this right. If they drag, like, let's say they have some mosquito larva, okay, right? Mm -hmm. They drag this mosquito larva from the digestive fluid up to the rim of the plant, which is about five centimeter, and it can take Mm -hmm. them up to 12 hours to drag this thing up. Wow. You have never tried that hard on any like twelve hours no, to I've drag never been, it up. I've never been focused on a single task for twelve hours in my life. <laughs> and they just eat it apart, and then they drop the rest of it, and they climb out, and they're like, "What's up?" And then they go live what? in the rest of the plant. They just try harder. They just is our try. current theory. I mean, there's some cool stuff they're doing with their swim and their underwater run, but as far as just like making the climb, I think, you know, they're just they just got grit for any animal moving for twelve hours. Two inches That's has to be, be the smallest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it makes those ants that live in that bunker look like a bunch of quitters. They could have gotten up <laughs> in several years. I, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> Try harder. <laughs> Next time you're stuck in a nuclear bunker, I'll think that to myself. What, what, what was the scientific name again? So it's Colobopsis schmitzi. Ah, that's great. It's Just really a bop in the middle. Colobopsis. It's got to be a guy's name, too. It's definitely Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. Schmidt did this, for sure. Schmidt <laughs> did this and is now immortalized by finding the cool, one of the coolest ants. One of the coolest ants. <laughs> I can't. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah. Is there a cooler <laughs> ant, though, Sari? I think I'm going to lose this one, but <laughs> I'll give it a, a G-dang try. So dogs, to me, feel pretty unique in the grand scheme of animals because even though they're all Canis familiaris, one species, they can be huge and fluffy like a Newfoundland or small and scrawny like a Chihuahua. There's a lot of size and shape differences, which are generally called polymorphisms. And part of that 
big part of that is due to humans and our artificial selection of them while breeding. But there are some pretty extreme polymorphisms that just happen in species too, including in ants specifically, and most extremely in species of marauder ants, such as Kerbara diversa. And so in many ant colonies, kind of like we talked about, you can expect to see a couple different sizes. Usually the reproductive queen is a little bit bigger. If you've watched like those bee and ant TikToks, they're like, oh, that's the queen <laughs> wiggling around. Um, while the fertile males and the non-reproductive females, like workers and soldiers, are generally a little smaller or have specialized adaptations to help them do their tasks. And marauder ants have all these categories too, but notably have lots of different tiered versions of workers, like one huge cartoon family where you squashed and stretched their bodies and faces to create different ants that are all part of the same colony. So to give an example of the extremes, the so-called major workers tend to have big, hairy, square heads that can be over 10 times as large as the petite, oval, and smoother heads of minor workers with body differences that generally match those trends. So it's not just the heads. Mm -hmm. um, but they have different roles in the colony, where bigger ants are more involved in the defense and smaller ants are more involved in raising young. But it seems like, in the case of marauder ants, all of them participate in foraging raids to various degrees. These ants can't sting, so the way they hunt is just like overwhelming prey. All the ants, they rally of all shapes and sizes, overwhelm their prey like a frog with their bodies, bite them all, the, and rip pieces of skin. Very uh, brutal. And the main reason I chose this fact is that sometimes entomologists have observed the bigger ants, like major workers or queens, which are generally pretty large, those 10 times or more bigger, carrying minor workers on piggyback. And the pictures are great. Uh, one biologist <laughs> named Mark Moffat wrote that he thought it might be a way for the little guys to conserve energy by basically riding a giant ant bus on their yeah. little, the little raids, which is an image that I love. And more broadly speaking in biology, ending with a little mystery as well, some 13% or so of ant species have this kind of huge variation in worker size. Maybe not to this extreme, but there are significantly bigger, like multiple times bigger ants and smaller ants of the same species. So it must be advantageous in some way to have like big guys who can carry a bunch of the little guys around. But we don't really understand like the social or nutritional or environmental factors that cause these differences. We've, oh. we've researched a lot into like queen reproducing versus not, but not like, why would you have a big boy and a lot of tiny boys and, uh, or I guess ladies, uh, a big lady, a big, big old gal. And a lot of tiny ones. Uh, like, what? what is evolutionarily advantageous to do that? Yeah. Who knows? Besides the yeah. looking cute. A little piggyback ride every once in a while. It's so weird and awesome that one, that, like, they are, they are the same genetically. And it's just like, we got to remember that, uh, that morphology and genetics are not the same thing. Genetics is not de destiny. And it's so weird that ants can do that. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to like ants. Definitely. Hey. Coming <laughs> Some of them are buses. That's very strange. Some yeah. of them are buses. So the, do, the, do the little ones definitely ride the big ones? Because this is important. Yes, I think so. <laughs> there's, there's enough pictures of the little ones riding the big ones around that it does seem yeah. like. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me that that would, be, that would be evolutionarily advantageous for the same reason it's advantageous to have a bus. Yeah, but then that bus has to eat. Yeah. Bus has got to eat. You have yeah. to feed a bus too, Sari. 
Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true, I guess. <laughs> Same thing. You gotta feed a yeah. horse, a bus, all of them. It's just like having a horse. But the horse is also your giant. It's best like if friend. a smaller horse is riding a horse. Yeah, or if like you were horse. you were riding a giant uh <laughs> you. A giant guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean I bet I would want to uh, ride a giant person if the ground was as big and bumpy as it is to an ant. Yeah. I got a real big wife. She can pick me up and put me on her shoulders and she just walks me. She takes me for a hike. And then she yeah, oh. then I buy her a sandwich. How do you in- <laughs> <laughs> gotta feed the bus gotta feed the bus yeah. feed the bus oh man i don't know how to make this choice this is really hard potentially the slowest animal on earth who can <laughs> escape the grips of a predatory plant through plant through pure grit or a yeah. bunch of little ants riding a big ant bus <laughs> 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 I know there was more to your fact than that, Sarah. That's the that's the pith for me. Oh yeah, definitely. I was just wanted to beef it up. I couldn't just show you the picture and walk yeah. away and be like, "Look ant at bus. this ant." You know, yeah. in, in full disclosure, you know, there might be something we haven't discovered. It it might not be just grit. I choose to believe the, right. the little schmitzies are out there trying yeah. their hardest. What yeah. is what's the scientific name of yours? Is it as good as Colobopsis? It's Carebera, which is pretty oh, good, I would on. say. That's oh. good, too. Oh, come on. That's not Carebera. Right. Are yeah. they named after Care Bears? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, come on. <laughs> it could be Carebara, huh? It could be Carebara. I think I said Carebara, but... You're gussying it up Care-Bara. for us. You're trying yeah. to pull it over. <laughs> it's just a big old Carebera ant that's giving oh. the little guys a hug and, and carrying them. Oh, I'm looking at the, uh, at the bus right now, and... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, there are a lot of cute. ants can fit on that ant bus. <laughs> All right, I know I've I've made up my mind. <laughs> God bless it. Care Bear. Okay. Come on. Do you w- want to say the person's name? Is that how we do it? Well, can I'll count to 3 and then on 3 we'll say the name. 1 2 3 Maddie. Maddie. Hey. Oh, wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. wow, wow. Good. Sarah, I would have voted for you too. I was thinking about what was going to make the best TikTok, and I, I felt like the oh, pictures yeah. of of the Care Bear with the ants on it was going to scare people away. <laughs> hey, they're pretty cute. Oh, wow! So it's just about the content with you. It's Hank. all about the content right. with me. Wow! Well, that's well, what, well. That's what you will learn. You might <laughs> learn that early. Uh, it's probably for the best. Oh, wow. Well, I'd just like to thank God and my family and (laughs) everybody that brought me here. Um, Uh My partner, who I asked between a couple of facts, and they said, ask one of your other friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Ask somebody who cares about this. Yeah. uh, (laughs) And now it's time to ask the Science Couch, where we ask a listener question to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Robot Banana 4 asks, are they just like incredibly strong or are they small enough that 10 times their body weight just isn't hard to carry? I wonder this all the time myself. I have also wondered this. I'm like, yeah, it's 10 times their body weight, but they're ants. I can also lift 10 times the body weight of an ant. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Is this something that should be compared in that way? So it is because they're, they're small and it has to do with like math of scaling up animals, which gets Mm, a little bit brain bendy, but I will try to walk through it. Uh, So like the biological reasons are ants and other insects are have super hard exoskeletons, but they're very thin and light. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so their muscles do a lot of moving, but not a lot of support for their bodies. And our we've got so much like squishy flesh and organs and whatnot that our muscles have to support. But ants, they're just like hollow tubes, basically. Their muscles can, I think their closing jaw muscles in some species can take up around half to two thirds of their head space. And like, oh. that's all for, for crunching, for, for clamping <laughs> shut, as opposed to for like our neck muscles, we're supporting our, our big gushy heads and whatnot. And our jaw <laughs> muscles are relatively small mm-hmm. considering. Yeah, we're carrying around all these bones, wasting yeah. our time yeah. carrying around all these bones. So ants and other small insects have the advantage of they've got less to carry around. And so mm-hmm. Their muscles can do more at that scale. The con- main consideration is as you start scaling things up, um, the the mass increases more than the muscle strength does. You're like stretching it out two times, mm-hmm. and then it's eight times as, as chunky. And so that's the same thing <laughs> as an ant. Its mass we get heavier, and the way that muscles work is it's tensile strength. So it's uh, mm. like the way it, it pulls and pushes. So your your muscles okay. proportionate to your body size are not as strong when you've got a bunch more body right. to deal with. The, the visual that worked for me is like <clears throat> from an ant to like a coconut crab. So a coconut crab also has an exoskeleton, also has like claws, pinchy claws, also has muscles. That's like crab meat. It's just muscle. Just for everybody's heads, a coconut crab is like a dog-sized crab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I recommend um, looking like, them up. Like horrifying. But like animals. That is how like a an ant would have to scale up. Like I think you imagine like the ant man ant scaling up when it gets all mm-hmm. big. It's still really spindly and light, but in order to support uh, its increased body mass, it would need its legs to like balloon out to hold more muscle mass to be able to support that body even with a light exoskeleton. Um, and then the exoskeleton would have to get thicker or have more pores in it in order for it to breathe oxygen because there's no like centralized circulatory system. It's just hemolymph inside an ant and they breathe through pores in their exoskeleton. So it'd have trouble breathing, it'd have trouble holding itself up and whatnot. We're still studying like what what's going on in ants. One study that was trying to look at robot insects and like how to build, they basically tried to take ants apart like a little robot and understand what the strong parts were and not their experiment, um, who is an assistant professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering. They like attached the ant heads to the center of a centrifuge and spun them around and was like, how much strength can the neck withstand? Uh, And (laughs) apparently the neck joint of an American field ant can withstand pressures up to 5,000 times the ant's weight. So there's wow. something specifically about the neck joint Whoa. because their heads are the ones doing the biting and lifting yeah, and whatnot. And, uh-huh. that Bat researchers would never strong. do that to ants. You know what I mean? No, they would, <laughs> they would never. But a mechanical engineer? No, absolutely. A mechanical engineer would do whatever they want to an ant neck. <laughs> <laughs> and every single one of you, and you know it, all of you mechanical <laughs> engineers listening. <laughs> If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, uh, you could do. You could follow us on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. You can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord as well. Thank you to at Klezbot, Chris P on Discord, and everybody else who asked your questions for this episode. That's Chris P, not Crispy. That would just for <laughs> clarity. Thank you, Maddie, 
Uh, can we check out what you're up to these days anywhere? Yeah, uh, I'll be hosting Science Friday on April nice. 21st, so check that out. But I'd like to use most of my time to say happy anniversary to my partner, as oh, it is our fun. anniversary today, and wow. they understand that I needed to record something. Audience. <laughs> so, that is a happy anniversary, happy Pi Day, happy all of it. Sometimes being a podcaster means you make your wife mad. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Sam, Sam, that's what Sam thinks anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents and become a patron, get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. And a special thanks to patrons John Pollock and Les Baker. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. And it also helps other people know that you like what we do here. Finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people, tell people about, about us. us. Thanks for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Sam Schultz. I've been Maddie Sophia. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Faith Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing. This one comes from reporting from up-and-coming science journalist Ed Young. In 2017, <laughs> researchers discovered army ants in the Costa Rican re- rainforest with two butts. Nice. After a closer look, though, they realized the second butt wasn't actually part of the ant. It was a tiny, super well-camouflaged <laughs> beetle, from its reddish-brown color to the microscopic structure of its shell. We still don't know what these butt beetles eat or what predators they might be hiding from, like the ants themselves or (laughs) organisms that are scared of army ants. But we do know to look for them chomping on an ant waist. I mean, the fact that there's a fake butt beetle for ants... Is what good. can't beetles do? What can't the they fact do? That, the fact that there's a fake butt beetle and we have no idea why they're doing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you're pretending to be a butt, you're hiding from something real bad, I think. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this beetle made some mistakes earlier this in his life. This beetle made some mistakes. This beetle's hiding for themselves and their family at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm.